Hello, I'm Rob Hirschfeld, CEO and co-founder of RackN and your host for the Cloud 2030 podcast. Today's episode is part of our book group series where we talk about the death of expertise by Tom Nichols. Uh, this is a fascinating book, very dense with a lot of provocative and thought-provoking uh comments, topics, and ideas. And it was so interesting that we decided we needed two sessions to fully unpack this. So this is part one of our death of expertise discussion. And we we hit really critical topics um, about how expertise as a society is handled, how social media changes it, the cyclical nature of confidence in our institutions, how technology and is shaped in buying patterns and use by expertise. Um, truly a fascinating topic. Um, and hopefully you'll be able, if you are listening to this, to participate in part two of the discussion, but you're going to need to get and read the book really quickly. Uh, reading the book is absolutely not required for this uh, conversation, but you might find yourself curious enough to pick it up and uh, leaf through some of the more impactful chapters. Also, uh, we talk about the Dunning-Kruger effect without discussing it particularly much. If you're not familiar with Dunning-Kruger, you should definitely look it up. Very simply, it's this idea that the less you know about something, the more confident you are. That actually gaining knowledge uh, makes you uh, know more, but also be present less confidence in how you present that. It's actually a much more complex topic than that very short summary and helpful to look up. Um, we'll provide some links to Dunning-Kruger in the show notes. Without further ado, enjoy our conversation about the death of expertise. I want to pivot us to the book because <laughs> there's yeah, so much great. in the book. Good, there is a lot. As <laughs> much there? as I like to talk about myself. Um, oh my God, this book. Um, <laughs> Diana, do you want to open us up on this? or? Okay, sure. So um, the thing that I'm really fascinated about, the reason that I attend these meetings every week is because the our customers that I'm learning to sell to are VPs of engineering and chief technology officers and chief information officers. So yeah. I want to learn from you know what the experts are talking about. So I thought it was an excellent book to mm. give me a framework to see how do you look at this book and how do you respond to the like what are what are people in your field thinking about this topic is going to be there's going to be a lot of listening happening over here because it's meaningful to me how experts like you in the field that I sell into think about expertise. So it's a little meta here for me. <laughs> it's a good, it's a good thought, thought process on it. Do you, do you have a takeaway from like what the, the, the problem that he's laying out, right? Well, there were three things that were a little bit, um, and I may jump, I, the network may not be that good because I'm off my cell phone, but um, okay. the three things that were hard for me was, what's the answer? If experts are really here to explain and not predict, then how do we deal with things like, what's the pandemic going to do to my family? Or what do I need to be thinking about? If, if there's not a really good prediction um, element of expertise, that was one thing that was you know kind of a question for me. Um, 
I'm not sure what his real resolution was to the problem. <laughs> like, um, you know, I think it was the, the one takeaway that I thought was really responsible on his part was experts need to be better at being accountable to uh, each other and themselves and owning their uh, owning their successes and their failures and understanding where they fit in the policy making. Um, and then I had a little bit of a trigger when um, I was very much involved with election integrity when the um, when the electronic machines were coming out that didn't have verified paper trails. And so what was disturbing to me was that an expert would look at the polls used to be right. And the reason that you used polls was to run election um, recounts, like actually verify the counts. And what they decided was when the elections were off, that the pollers were bad, as opposed to the polls are pretty much traditionally scientifically accurate. So let's go count the votes. Like, let's don't allow the computers to you know uh, run that. So that was but I realized that that's a trigger of mine and that I'm very um, and, and like I'm not dispassionate about that topic. So those were my takeaways. Interesting. So I'm very interested to hear how you all thought about this, uh, what you thought about well, this book. I, I thought it was I, I, you, you brought up a couple of really good points there. And one is the kind of the dictum that experts really do need to adapt to a different environment um the the idea that as a scientist um or as an engineer as an expert um you're hiding a lot behind techno babble and that mm. does not that does not serve anybody's purpose um being, yes, true to a kind of a scientific method and say, I cannot be 100% sure, or I cannot be absolute in my statement about this. Um, the fact that um, there is no certainty, we're dealing with, you know, things that are, you know, just because they're being predicted, have a some modicum of, of uh, probability of going a different direction. I think that's important. Um, but the issue here is taking, I think what he's saying in some ways is stop getting, stop being in the prediction business. And you can either be in the forecasting business, which is much more probabilistic. And the other side of that is you can be in the prescriptive business, which says, here are actions we can take to change directions. And that's something that um, it, it's hard to it's hard to get traction as an expert unless there's some reason to believe this person and there's a track record and so forth. So it gets back to what Diana was saying about accountability. So, you know, prediction is 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 fortune telling uh, that, and not a good idea. Forecasting is better is a better mindset. And if you're going to be an expert and going to make a change or act as a change agent, you know, 
be prescriptive as opposed to predictive or forecasting. Do you think that, um, cause I was reading something about, um, um, imposter syndrome and there, there was a, a combination between, and, and the, we, it talks about Dunning-Kruger a lot, <laughs> right. With this, with the, the Dunning-Kruger effect and there's imposter syndrome and there's just, they have this very narrow line of novice and then hu- hu- humility or humble expert. And, and part of the prediction piece is, is sort of what the experts fall into all the time, which is not pretending certainty and, and, you know, accountability and things like that. There's a part of me that, that was listening to the book and now hearing y'all thinks through this, this humility that is necessary for experts is also problematic in how you engage with them that people like want certainty and they're like, Oh, I want, I want an answer. And the expert by definition is going to say, well, most right experts agree, you know, or there's room or, you know, and that, that that's a problem here that people just want the answer. But yeah, but isn't that a case of the, the audience or the, the people we're, we're speaking about have a, this is how people deal with uncertainty. You know, they're, they're not, Mm. they're not comfortable with, um, with probability. They're not, they're not comfortable with um, the fact that there are things that are beyond control. Um, one of the reasons in my mind why people kind of find themselves attracted to uh, conspiracy theories is uh, a conspiracy theory always comes up with there's some individual or some group of individuals who are in control of things? They, you know, they're they're manipulating. Sh- yeah, they're manipulating. They're they're spinning the dials. Uh, it's a and and yeah, Dunning Kruger, and it's kind of a na- national or kind of a cultural approach to Dunning Krugerism. I, I mean, uh, uh, there was a whole chapter on the the. Um, um, the conspiracy theory pieces. And I, I, one of the things I, I I've known, but liked the way it was, it was expressed was this idea of either something is proof of the conspiracy theory, but a lack of proof is also proof of the conspiracy theory. And there's, there's this certainty of, of, yeah. you know, it's, and, and it, it makes me wonder, cause I, I think there's an element here in there are times in in our society where we we there's a lot of uncertainty in things or there's a lot of change and i don't feel like this is the first time we've been through a wave like this and no. so so there's there's very much this like we're going into this death of expertise in the it's it's you could almost describe it as as a is a grasp for certainty question absolutely what what what, what? Previous or historical um, reference? Do you have for having gone through this before? Anything? I, I was thinking like the McCarthy era and the Red Scare was the one yeah. that came to mind for me. Um, That's exactly mm-hmm. what I was thinking. But you know, I have to say, I enjoyed the book, but it niggled at me because I found that it was very parochial in a sense. Mm-hmm. 
I agree with that. It it is it is not a global view because the death of expertise may be happening, no pun intended, much more in your country than the rest of the world. There are still cultures. UK is a perfect example where, you know, if you're deemed an expert, you are peer reviewed, you have an agenda, you have a point of view. There is not a lot of there's a lot of nuance in what you may say as an expert, but what the public hears and what they take in is that the level of authenticity and the level of veracity of what you are saying has been peer reviewed. So there are other people who sort of may not think exactly the same thing, but there's a school of thought around it with differing opinions and they can deal with the vagaries and the nuances better before they go, oh, it's a conspiracy. It's counter argument Brexit. Yeah, well, <laughs> okay. Populism is alive and uh, well-established uh, all over the world. It's mm -hmm. mostly a matter of, of to, to what degree it is uh, visible. Um, we are also seeing um, a lot of these um, anti-scientific rhetoric uh, being promoted by media, uh, which makes it also difficult to um, uh, to corral. Uh, when to you say when you say promoted, are you talking about actual promotion and and kind of putting weight behind it, or simply? putting a spotlight on it and letting letting it kind of uh, both actually the, the, there's recorded. certain media channels that actively promote disinformation right uh there's other media channels that try to take a more neutral stance in, in that but however again like as, as as talked about in the book like the not everyone deserves a voice uh, everyone deserves a chance at the voice, uh, and, and every opinion deserves to be voiced by an individual. But uh, when information is very clearly damaging to um, to society and very clearly untrue at the same time, um, allow giving that that opinion uh a channel in legitimate media dilutes that that oh, media oh, uh, and at the same time yeah. dilutes the public trust and expertise yes i the, the thing i i that, that makes me nervous on statements like that is when i think of some of the ways in which uh racism was propagated or perpetuated in the US is it was wrapped in mainstream science. Yeah. Um, and then, right. And then the, the, and, and I, this is a huge dilemma because there's a, the, where, where I started from this was I'm like, we have exported first amendment liberalism, which I, I agree with and, and have trouble with at the same time. It's like, it's like loving and hating the ACLU at the same time. Um, the um because you, you know we're we're ex and we've been exporting the first amendment and and the way americans 
allow people to say things um, as a constitutional protection, um, you need that to, in some cases, but it's very hard to distinguish when that crackpot idea, you know, 50 years later is mainstream accepted belief and the current dogma is dogma. And I, I don't know how to protect that. And that's that's. I, I don't think he treats this in the book at all. Um, I, I don't think it was quite as visible five years ago. Uh, I guess six now. That the book was published twenty seventeen. Yeah. Um, uh, as as it is now, um, like in the past two three years, actually. Probably since COVID would, would be the, the best way. Um, there's been a lot more introspection uh, on, mm. on, um, on media and on communications. Um, and we now have a perspective on this that just wasn't available then. Um, I, actually, a, a, a good... I, I think a, a good, um, I don't know what the word is like. It's not use case, but but a maybe scenario of of, of uh, or example of um, an accelerated version of what we, we saw in, in in public media over the past couple of decades, like happening now, is the Fediverse. Like it, it is a, a much stronger echo chamber. Um, Communities are much, <clears throat> excuse me, are, are much uh, more insular. Um, uh, but uh, it is fascinating to see how the the cliques form uh, and and how the the, the groups interact. Um, Outside of the Fediverse, yeah, yeah, and, and, and there's some wonderful dis- discussions there on on, on Lemmy and on Mastodon re- regarding uh, federation, regarding moderation, uh, re- regarding uh, what it means to provide a safe space for discussion and for opinions, uh, and as well uh, as like when opinions are damaging and when they should not be allowed. I oh god, it's I mean it's so tricky because um and and the boy, there's so many places to go. I, I can't help but think like the whole ivermectin. I'm I'm thinking about you know, right, our our government standing on a podium and talking about ivermectin and bleach and stuff like that and in the hands of COVID mm-hmm. and and being like, I there's a and maybe this is part of it, right? There's free speech from individuals and there's there's government speech. speech. Well, and there's also it's also government, right? We expect government the, the government to not be free speech. It's supposed to be this is his point. Like I was I was rereading the last chapter, yeah. um, which oh, I wish you'd written a 20 percent shorter or 80 percent shorter book. <laughs> <laughs> Because the points were, were are there, but just hard to hard to sort through. But I, you know, we expect the the government to make considered choices, bring in experts, and not not act like they can. It's a free speech platform with, where they can say things without being held accountable. Um, 
and we're well, now we're in a we're that's, full circle that's of accountability. Almost, one of the problems there, Rob, is that when you say the government, sounds like there is a unite a unified mm. united government. I mean, pretty clear it ain't the case. <laughs> and um, there's also an expectation that such a government is democratic. Uh, right. Like right. When, when when we take regulatory capture to the extreme and apply it to government. Uh, that that's like we're talking about fascism there like i'm not saying it's happening now uh but but like in the extreme like history has shown that that's where we end up well and and we're in an interesting place where we're treating majorities as like razor majorities as absolute majorities and we we this is this to me he didn't talk about at all um or, or or i missed it which is this you know Part of part of and maybe this is where the death of expertise is coming in more is if you treat a majority of 51 percent as the absolute right. And that's that to me is the place where we're and and this comes and goes in America. Right. And we'll we'll hopefully get to a point where we're like, oh, wait a second, you know, governing from 51 percent. And I I make all the rules and I ignore the people who in four years are going to be the on you know potentially the 51 percent um yeah that 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 ends up you know being where you ignore everybody else you know until you lose power and your objective during that during your your stay in power is to do everything you can to put a bullet in the other side you know it's to cripple them as opposed to you know the whole notion of compromise the whole notion of uh, of, um, you know, reaching across the aisle, if you will. Um, yeah, that's a, it's a very good point. And it's one he does not address. He also yeah. doesn't address the issue of governments looking to protect. Protect whom? The citizenry. You know, well, we can't tell them that because it'll cause a panic. Mm. Mm. He that's doesn't bring that. Aspect yeah, that, and that's a you know, touchy one. That's a, that is, is a touchy it, one. It, yeah, but but it's germane because I mean he yeah. talks about um, you know not you know peer review is not rerunning the same experiment over and over. It's making the assumption that uh, the research and the the procedures were followed. You know, using a scientific method. In fact, that's a, a kind of protectionism in and of itself. So whether it's government or peer review or whatever, when I get stuff from National Academy to peer review, do I go and rerun the same experiment that somebody else ran? No. I have to take their provenance, for lack of a better word, and use it as yes, okay, they've ascended to this level of expertise, I'm going to take at face value that when they ran the experiment, there were standards in place, there were procedures in place that are generally accepted. That's a form of protectionism, just as much as government speak is, we'll give them a little, but we won't give them everything just because that might cause a panic or because they're going to point a finger at us which is to your point, Rich, of, you know, uh, knock the other guy down to 
elevate your own status. Or and that, yeah, that was the theme yeah. that yeah. I found that thematic through the book. Mm. Yeah, it was. Do you think that if you were to say we have information that's available to experts, at, you know, air quotes on experts, but experts for review that the government could withhold or any institution could withhold withhold information from the general populace on the idea that it was allowing relevant experts to review and analyze you you wouldn't you wouldn't count no. it with those terms okay but but you know um <laughs> Let's put it this way. If you said a knee-jerk reaction or a misinterpretation of the information we have in right. hand is potentially um, you know, can lead to dangerous actions being taken in a, you know, quote, democratic situation or a popular, you know, in, in populations. And, you know, there is there is such a thing as, you know, uh, saying, look, this begs for further work, further interpretation and going out too early with a, with information that is not complete, for example, is uh, is the kind of thing that will, in fact, lead to. You know, somebody getting out, wow. making yeah. a, a, a you know a statement that's ironclad. Well, you know, everything from ivervectin to you know nuclear energy, and you know, take your pick. Um, and somebody becomes the you know self-described or self-proclaimed expert, and you know, there's. Yeah. There's enough. There's enough evidence that this is, this is this happens a lot, uh, and what also it leads to and has has to be protected from is somebody fabricating other information that's immaterial or out, outright wrong, outright you know false. There was I, I I was here I listened to a podcast. This was on um um. On the media broadcast, uh, really good. It was a. Uh, it was somebody went back and did a whole bunch of research on the New York vigilante um, who shot. Uh, it was a, a white man. He shot four black black teenagers on the subway, uh, and it's a forty year old case now. It's the beginning, but at the beginning of uh, Fox News and Rupert Murdoch buying the New York Post and and getting his first toehold and um, what there was a fact in the case that was widely misreported, which was that the, um, the, the victims of the shooting were carrying sharpened screwdrivers and had brandished them, which was completely untrue. Um, and, but, but that fact was high, you know, and this is, this to me, it was used to, to gen up, um, tensions that were already present in society, but the, but the, the, the newspapers had no interest in retracting or correcting the record. Um, and once it was in the public narrative, it, it, it rolled like crazy. Um, 
And it, it's, I think, and this was true throughout the book. There's an element of narratives run faster than facts here with, yeah. with the, with the expertise and the, the chat with experts, right. They, you know, and you get outside your expertise, you're in the same danger, but in your expertise, you're like, okay, I I'm going to get the facts. I know there's mitigating circumstances. I'm going to be deliberate and careful. Um, ah, oh, but, but once I mean, this is this the narrative is, gets set. Yeah. Yeah. And, and this is why, you know, peer review exists. It's, you know, it's meant to be something that is accepted by all parties supposed to be as a, as a way of uh, not jumping to conclusions, dealing with, you know, wild hairs that, that shoot off and, and then are not, are not pulled back, not retracted. Um, and it's a, it's a difficult situation. Well, here's, huh. here's the question. If we, if we were to apply some of these principles, issues to our, our own industry, you know, this, this part of the tech industry, where do you think, you know, where do you think we are? I, I think that, for example, right now, in the course of less than a year, there are more experts in generative AI than have ever known the term. <laughs> there, uh, everybody is an expert, and you know it, that's that's difficult for me to to deal with. Um, and you can see why that might lead to a decline in trust in experts. Yeah. Um, there's a um, there is a dimin diminution of the role of of research and higher education in um, in our, our in our industry. Not that it's bad altogether. But it is it is problematic. A hell of a lot of emotional emotionalism that goes, you know, that 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 just invades all the facts we hear about, you know, generative AI, including you're going to lose your job, you know, you're going to be replaced, um, and this, you know, and quite frankly, you know, social media by whatever mean media generally but social media in particular uh you want to talk about illiteracy i mean rampant illiteracy <laughs> that is what we're talking about that that just that just blows me away so how do you deal with that i mean since you framed this in in our industry um yeah. I, I i want to add the comment that um our industry is significantly different from other ones in that um, our credentials credentials are largely unregulated. Yeah, like the the trust that you put in someone uh, that that claims to be an expert comes largely from their social status 
in commercial not, not from commercial any su- yeah not from any certification success. yes Com- commercial success <laughs> yeah that's, that's so i'm thinking about the congressional hearing yesterday yes yeah. that's right yeah so so in 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 that context like the the person who is deemed an expert is not necessarily the most knowledgeable one on a topic but is the one who is more visible yeah Yeah. which is not necessarily a bad thing because um our industry is also rather a uh we have a short attention span uh (laughs) and b we are less forgiving for um for for mistakes so it mm-hmm. or or at least le- less forgiving for misinformation so it, uh, if you okay. are an, an expert and you abuse or if you are if you have an expert status and you abuse that status then i mean it's going to give you short-term gain what uh, what constitutes but, abuse class um for example uh, let, let's say uh promoting a self-interesting um product for example like like we can see for example with the with the with the crypto uh boom and mm-hmm. and, and bubble and and, and then mm-hmm. implosion um there was a lot of hawking by uh quote-unquote experts of various products uh which yes it gave them a short boon uh, in that they they made some short-term gains but once that all imploded the the public trust in in these people just collapsed uh along with, with the technology and and they and they are not the, able to regain that and that was for both legitimate experts and the self-styled experts yes so um so the the ones that that con that if you look at the public figures that continue having public trust uh are mm-hmm. are the ones that are consistent and are the ones that deal uh with um with information in a more ethical manner and you're speaking once once again we're, are we still speaking about our industry here yes yeah like I'm, I'm talking like for example uh personalities like kelsey hightower like linus torvalds mm-hmm. uh they, they are consistent with like they are opinionated but they are consistent they are willing to accept that they may have done something wrong in the past and they're willing to correct that yeah but they're consistently ethical uh and they don't deviate from their goal i think that's that's well said they're true they are the definitions of experts in in the book from that perspective right And, and, you know, one of the signs, of, as Klaus is very clear about, one of the signs of expertise in this is the ability to be swayed by a cogent argument from a, an initial position 
to a different position. That mm -hmm. um, that willingness in you know while maintaining the principles, you know, the goal, I think is is you know probably the greatest kind of indicator or, or marker of expertise that we can possibly we can possibly bring to bear right now. Do you think that money in some ways or money and power are corrupting with this? Because I think what what you're describing is a degree of the transparency also struck as um right. And the ulterior motives here, what's the what's the famous quote that um uh, uh, somebody who's whose livelihood depends on um, seeing something a certain way, we'll see something a certain way. It's, it's not P.T. Barnum. It's a different. Um... Absolutely. I, I, I do believe that. Uh, and going back to the topic of peer review, that this is one of the major problems of peer review. Mm -hmm. Like even in, 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 in our industry and like natural language processing, there is an entrenched elite of experts who tend to be the peer reviewers who will absolutely sh shoot down any new um, opinions that don't conform to their worldview. Like it happens more in, in academic circles than, than in commercial circles, but it it does happen and, and it is a yeah. big problem with period. But you know you're you're touching on a point that kind of is near and dear. Uh, to me anyway, which is the difference between, in very simple terms, thought leadership, expertise, and influence. And to your point, Rob, money and visibility and so forth are much more influencer related than expertise. And I uh, had this discussion uh, good point. with Ray Wang, not, you know, quite a while ago. And I said to him, like, you know, our industry, our section of the industry and the way analyst reviews work, et cetera, et cetera, is like, what's the difference between experts and influencers? And he said to me in very clear terms, and I had a good laugh about it, but it's correct. The research agenda that you publish. One is the commitment and the consistency of doing you know, specific kinds of work in a given field. And yes, to Rich's point, being open to other opinion and incorporating that and developing that. And, you know, we all feed off each other here in, in many ways and, and take those ideas and start running with them. Whereas influencers are definitely financially driven, definitely uh, visibility driven, and they're trying to create a persona. But there are certain ones, even in my segment of the industry, where I have to go, that drives me insane because there's so much surface level information. I'll go one inch deep where many of us go five feet deep. And we've been talking about the same things for years and years and years. And then all of a sudden, one day you read something by the one inch deep thinker, the, the more shallow version of, of the topic who's finally coming around to what you've been saying for eight or 10 years. <laughs> yeah. And it's infuriating, but it is driven by, you know, their yeah. status as an influencer and social media is very responsible for that. Well, it's, it's, oh. it's great that you bring this up 
because what this is basically saying is, you know, this could this could be the the follow on to a shorter version of this book, which is the death of expertise and the rise of the influence. Yes, <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. It could, could and so where do you it? fit thought leader in there? Could we boil it all down to influencers are easy answers and the experts are hard answers? I mean, I mean, not I'm necessarily now. easy answers. Matter of fact, some I would I would I would say that some influencers are, you know, and they are very often, if not always, coin operated. Yeah. Um, they're they're trying to, in various times, they're trying to maintain a, a a difficult position an expensive position but oh. it's there's somebody that's 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 got an economic you know interest in doing uh, it it can have an interest in doing it that way and, and they also maintain that position with what the what the viewer perceives as much more confidence than the expert the expert says absolutely there's okay i think right. this is and this is uh, and this is why I'm backing it up, but I can't be sure because of these reasons. The influence exactly. just says like this is it, exactly because well, is, they, just... they, they are targeting the short attention span audience. This this and, goes straight back to snake oil salesmen, right? Where yeah, and, and when and actually this is what the the name they give to that is confidence man. Yeah, right. Yeah. Going back to you know, it's like somebody shows up and says this will cure you and whatever there that's and 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 you're swayed by the the emotion and the 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 certainty uh, that the, the individual projects and you know the let, let's put it this way if most people had even a simple course in rhetoric and understood how people make arguments how you win arguments uh yeah. you uh, you know how you frame uh frame a situation how you you know do a preemptive sale if only to know oh you know what i'm i'm getting conned here to you use your point but it is confidence it is a confidence game but we we used, we used to be like are we were trained and maybe this is exactly what you're saying trained for alarms bells to go up when somebody talked to us in a certain way yeah. Um, yeah and and have is that training just been like eroded where where do you get it where 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 did you kid where did your kids learn it if not uh, from you yeah that's it uh, you're right um in, in many cases, you, you learn it through personal experiences. <laughs> the hard way, yes. yeah. You know what's interesting is I, I think it does mm. the topic a disservice to try to boil it down to one, you know, little thing. <laughs> yeah. But because it's kind of the opposite of what what's um, available here. But it does seem to me that the question is, where does, what are experts for? And the the things that i'm hearing from this discussion are expertise becomes problematic when it has to do with public policy social engineering and governance but it's super important when it comes to fixing my car 
uh, going to the doctor for, you know what I mean? Like expertise has a real, uh, uh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to write my own will. I'm not going to defend myself against the, an IRS audit. And I don't mean to turn experts into technicians because that diminishes the value, but it's just interesting. Like where, where does expertise belong mm-hmm. is a, becomes one of the questions that now I'm curious about from this book. Yeah. I think it's a good question. It's a good point. And and your 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 point about governance policy, especially things that are not by their very nature completely deterministic. Um, you know, expertise is the kind of thing you rely on, you bring in um when the basis on which you make a decision is not solely some kind of piece of scientific or you know deterministic research you can bring in an expert and say this is the impact of this kind of a decision on this area um but you know what's the basis on which policy is made it's not all fact it's intent it's you know it's it's what your job is but 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 fundamentally we want and this is what's so funny because and it the the phrase government expert has eroded over my lifetime right the the, the idea of right we actually should want that the government maintains and pays experts you know in our authoritative authoritative to, right, yeah. we, we should actually be like oh let's bring in the government experts and figure this out and and now we've that's I, what I, government I, research used to be about yeah uh, I, I, 30 years i'm ago, not sure I, I quite agree with that i like okay. i i i kind of have the opinion that government expertise has not diminished it's just the public trust in government expertise and, and with reason because it's been abused um but again that, that's a much longer social discussion that we have time for um well I would he does, he does make that. the point that um when it's working it's ignored this is back to the operator problem when when that expertise is keeping us on the straight and narrow and doing the right thing it's it's ignored when it doesn't work it's right that's, then we we it's it's eroded um the classic sysadmin problem. Like, sysadmin. Everything is working. Why are we paying for you? Nothing is working. Why are we paying you? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's yeah. true. And, but, and, I, I don't, and yeah. I don't know that I necessarily agree with Klaus. I think the level from in the course of my 30 plus year career, government levels of expertise or experts who are considered experts by governments. I think the the veracity of that statement gets called into question more and more often based on my interactions with government experts. Their quali- whether it's the qualify it's not the qualification that they have, it's the I was taught this way, I see things in my silo, I have blinders on. They're not open to other nuances. And I can give you a really good case in point in one minute because we're almost out of time. AI, we only have a minute. They make a, yeah, go ahead. No, I mean, I do a lot of stuff with NIST. 
And I have okay. over the course of my careers. When they start editing documents to say, well, that's not politically correct for my environment and may put me personally at risk as an author, I have to wonder not only about the credibility of them as an expert, but that the view of expertise has been diminished. Right. So, so that's my point is that yeah. like my, my argument is that this was always the case. It's just more visible now. Okay. Yeah. I, okay. I, I mean, I know when I was at IBM and when I worked with people at NIST for that first five years, those were experts. I mean, they were no nonsense. No, I don't care about politics. I don't care about money. I don't care about anything. It's purely, it's not purely scientific research, but I'm open and honest to take in other people's opinions, even if I interpret them in a more vague way than they have been disclosed to me, I'm still going to give credence to the fact that there is some sort of uh, accreditable mm -hmm. reason. And I think what you're going back to is the fact that, like other aspects of our society, these are people who are making decisions based on a form of self-interest. This gets back to, to what Klaus was saying before. Their self-interest is the maintenance of their organization, the next year's funding, you know, you know, you can go down the list. Yeah. They are in a competitive situation, just like, you know, folks in the, in the quote, you know, the marketplace okay. and they have a way of, you know, of navigating it. All right. I this I I am tempted to put this back on the agenda and have a follow-up conversation on it because I think we've still got more to go. Yeah. All right. I I'll I'm, I was just looking at the calendar so we can I'll I'll pick a time and we can we can do it. Maybe maybe just well. maybe push next week's off and we'll just have a dot 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 continuation. I love it. Let's do love it. it. Talk to you all next week. Yes. Thank you. Good luck Bye. on the power, Diana. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bye. Wow. What a fantastic discussion. Clearly just scratching the surface on all of the different things that go into this. And one of those topics where just great interaction, discussion, decomposing, and bringing new ideas to bear. Uh, there's so much here. Uh, in this conversation that is really normal fodder for us in the Cloud 2030 uh, discussions. I hope you will choose to be part of our group, uh, read some of the books that we're discussing, or just bring ideas and questions into the normal uh, roundtables that we have. You can find out our agenda and more details at the 2030.cloud. I hope to see you there. Thank you for listening to the Cloud 2030 podcast. It is sponsored by RackN, where we are really working to build a community of people who are using and thinking about infrastructure differently, because that's what RackN does. We write software that helps put uh, operators back in control of distributed infrastructure, really thinking about how things should be run and building software that makes that possible. If this is interesting to you, uh, please try out the software. We would love to get your opinion and, and, and hear how you think this could transform infrastructure more broadly. Or just keep enjoying the podcast and coming to the uh, discussions and 
you know, laying out your thoughts and how you see the future unfolding. It's all part of building a better infrastructure operations community. Thank you.